Hello everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the United Way podcast. United Way is a by the fans for the fans podcast covering Manchester United. Once a month, the podcast talks about all things Manchester United, matches, news, transfers, tactical analysis, stats, etc. More importantly, it is a friendly chat about the club we love and adore. And uh, as always, I have with me uh, Pranam Pranav and uh, Rushab. Hi guys. Hey. Yeah, hi Anil. How are you? I'm good. Uh, so today, there's a very special topic. First, we'll be talking about, and uh, that is the European Super League. The events around the European Super League, which have uh, taken the footballing world by storm. Uh, I think uh, it's it's essential that we cover this at, at, at some length. to talk about it the the potential ramifications of uh, a a league of this magnitude for not only european football in general but uh, its implications for united and manchester united's role in the european super league so uh, let me just start, uh, start off by saying that uh, uh, since we all know i mean the european super league is a uh european league which was initiated by two uh, 12 of the biggest clubs uh, across europe including six english teams three spanish teams and uh, three of the italian teams of of course the so called big six we are talking about includes manchester and uh this this came as a jolt as a shock to the entire footballing world and uh, there was a strong outcry and there was a strong uh, a very strong negative reaction i would say from the whole footballing world from fans alike and uh, i think uh, maybe in, un- in in unprecedented times to have witnessed this kind of unity among amongst all the players football pundits and fans alike and the pressure that was put uh, on these owners or these founding members of the european super league which ultimately resulted in them falling apart like nine pins and calling it off temporarily at least i think uh, it's something i've never seen before i mean i haven't witnessed that at least but uh, discussion open to both of you and uh, let me just start off by asking both of y'all what do you think of the european super league the concept of the european super league in the first place and uh, do you think uh, we've seen the last of it well uh, as a concept obviously uh, being a football purist i absolutely absolutely hated the idea the moment i understood what it was uh, no for few very obvious reasons Uh, obviously the biggest one is that uh, being a closed league it completely kills off the competition and uh, you know as pep guardiola said it's not a sport if you cannot lose right so uh, obviously this was an up, this was an attempt to americanize the european football uh, and uh, no it would have completely killed the joy of our game in the recent uh, you know champions league seasons uh even a team like manchester united we this season itself we've lost to 
a club like istanbul basak shahir probably we wouldn't have even heard of their name if we you know if maybe 3 years back and there are so many such examples right so uh, the only reason that teams like istanbul basak shahir are able to compete in the champions league is that it's an open league it's a meritocratic system where you you know if you uh, finish in certain positions in your league you get a chance to compete with the best amongst europe so uh, and obviously it benefits nobody other than the owners of all these clubs they have all taken a huge hit uh, on their finances because of the pandemic and uh, obviously uh, as mr perez said repeatedly the richest clubs cannot get any poorer i mean which was a joke i guess but uh, that is how it is so it's nothing in it for us uh, on your question whether it's gone away i don't think it's gone away permanently uh, maybe in this form in this format yes it has gone away but it will come back in some form probably in the form of a revamped champions league which actually has been already approved uh, and finally all these big guys will take away uh, more positions uh, more power and more money i mean that's the sad reality but the good thing is that uh, you know the fan power was for the first time demonstrated uh, in 48 hours all of these clubs had to basically uh, you know trace back their steps after having signed a 23 year agreement which is like really funny like the kind of planning that goes into all these things i mean it's uh, like really crazy but uh, yeah i don't think it's gone away in that it will come back in some other form i guess tushab uh i would say i would say i'm a fan of the super league i kind of see where people are coming from i understand uh, Uh, why the big clubs would want to make more money? They bring more to the table than smaller clubs do, for sure. But uh, I don't know. I just think this was a poorly conceived idea. I think if this was done with a slightly more class and grace, I think this would have probably flown through. And uh, again, when you say the twelve biggest clubs in Europe, how do you qualify biggest by Instagram followers, by revenue, by asset value, by stadium size? by trophies one what are the criteria that i think was the biggest letdown with this whole concept uh, in my opinion i think uh, i agree with pep about there has to be losing if there is a sport but i think not winning the super league is losing also right like tomorrow you will play in the fa cup regardless of where your position in the league is that doesn't disqualify you or qualify you doesn't mean that you have less motivation to win the fa cup but uh think this was done in the image of Florentino Perez and Ed Woodward and i think that is the biggest letdown of them all uh like pep correctly pointed out why is ajax not involved in this group of 12 they're far more successful than tottenham have ever been but clearly they're not part of this so. might ever be oh might ever be uh, <laughs> now that mourinho's gone i kind of wish well for them again to be very honest <laughs> So let's uh, not go there. Let's not go there. Uh, I, I'm in two minds. I think that the world is already being ruled by Manchester City and Chelsea, which is ill-gotten gains, which is financial inequality like never seen before in any sport. 
and it's happening world over like psg today paid 222 million for neymar what is that if not anti competitive anti competition or monopolistic in nature uh, but i guess uh, this is more to do with the perception as well and the fans uniting uh, i think it's good for football i think we are going to see a revamped version again in the next year or two or three but i think overall this has been good for football i think i it's been a long time since i actually had a very productive and agreeable conversation the other day with a chelsea and a liverpool fan and we seem to agree on most things so i guess that is it's done good for football in that sense so my take on this is uh, i think uh, let's not uh, let's not just make this about the bad boys from these 12 clubs the old- yes there is greed yes there is capitalism involved but i also think i mean somewhere even uefa has to take the blame right as to how uh, it has been uh, going about things i mean let's let's agree i mean for all florentino perez said in his interview i think one thing you've got to agree somehow i my personal view is the champions league definitely needs a revamp it definitely needs to be looked at because i think uh, i personally feel there are way too many I, i i feel the i mean the competition format the structure at this point of time seems a little outdated and yes i do agree with him on this point that i mean the champions league do start getting uh, does start getting interesting more or less from the knockout rounds i mean barring the odd group of death which you have like like manchester united was involved in this time with leipzig and uh, paris saint germain i think all the other all the all the other groups you more or less knew who are going to be the top 2 so i mean the group matches any which is aren't going to garner that many eyeballs i mean you know for a fact that i mean a galatasaray a fenerbahce are going to get walloped by the likes of city liverpool etc so i mean it's I, it, it, in a way it just becomes like I mean, these big teams become like, uh, I mean, bu- uh, they're bulldozing these smaller teams. I mean, it's just an ego boost for these uh, bigger teams, and these so smaller teams I, they become whipping boys. No, I disagree with you. By that logic, Southampton and Burnley should never play football in the Premier League, should they? Like every weekend, every other weekend, there are minos playing each other, which are the most boring games of football, possibly, from a. Uh, uh, big game perspective but they still play i don't agree with the smaller teams i just think that uh, i think this is the problem i think uh, bigger teams bring a bigger audience a bigger market share to the table and i think they should be rewarded accordingly like i think if there is a united versus granada match which is watched more than the city dortmund match i think united definitely deserve to get a bigger pie a bigger share of the pie than what they're getting perhaps right now I think that has to be acknowledged at some level. Uh, if it's not, it's always going to be biased, right? The big boys are always going to be in the same league as the small boys, and that I don't think like people have invested money, owners have put in money, whatever. In our case, they borrowed money, but people put in money, people hire the best of people in to bring the club up to the global standard, and then what? You're still in the same, pretty much in the same spot as Galatasaray when it comes to earnings from Champions League. yeah so see this thing about the champions league needing a revamp the group stage not being that competitive 
okay i also i mean disagree on that front uh, i mean we you regularly get so many upsets in these competitions right especially when you are playing against say a turkish opposition or a club like ajax or you know maybe united uh, uh, even under sir alex ferguson once lost to fc basel and went out at the group stage so it's not a very rare occurrence I mean, these are the things why, no, from a neutral perspective, we love football because we love to see some of the minos uh, doing well from time to time. Obviously, uh, most of the times, the team that is expected to win ends up winning. That's okay. But we are saying uh, that these group stage match- matches don't matter because we have now been conditioned to think, think, from the point of view of all these big guys now you think from the point of view of these small european clubs uh, a lot of it lot of these matches even if they end up losing is there you know once in a couple of years or a five years or sometimes even once in a 10 20 year kind of an occasion for them if say a real madrid or a uh, psg or a bayern munich is coming to town so uh, i mean that is finally that is the romance of football right I mean, if we want to kill that, then obviously there is no fun for uh, for a football purist, I would say. And who, so, would you like to see Real Madrid play Barcelona like five times a season? I mean, no. I mean, after a point, it does get uh, very dull. So, I don't know. I, I still do think that the Champions League will get revamped, but whether it actually needs a revamp or not is a completely different question. So I agree with you, Pranav. In the sense, do you remember Real Madrid struggled for some eight or nine seasons in a row to get ahead of round of sixteen? Right. Even PSG, right? Even PSG. Even PSG in last the season, time. they were struggling. So I think it's. I don't think it's to do with the minos. I think this is just disgruntlement. Disgruntlement on behalf of the teams that bring a bigger audience to the table, and I think that's certainly justified. But I don't think a breakaway league is really the solution. I. think this rebellious streak was definitely went punished and for good reason so okay. but like the large okay so here i'm talking about the economics here like my question to you is when was the last time the champions league gave out an upset 20 years ago when porto won yep yep exactly my point exactly my so, point that is one thing the second thing being tomorrow or uh, your champions league or your premier league is about simply entertainment right like it's there is competitiveness there is fairness there is sportsmanship but at the end of the day it's entertainment like one of the reasons why footballers play at the top level it's not because ander herrera enjoys playing for psg he probably thinks this is his best shot at making money tomorrow so i also think that it's like players are money driven coaches are money driven club owners are money driven Tomorrow, you're not going to ask your Dharma Productions or Red Chillies to make a movie for the equality of things, right? Like everybody's out there to make a money. It's capitalist in nature. Like you have a balance sheet, you have shareholders, you have to give them returns. So I think it's only fair for the clubs that have more weight to try to get more sway in the uh, say of how the Champions League perhaps operates or how the revenue is divided. Uh, I definitely do think so. So I think this is a classic, uh, you know, business versus uh, sports uh, kind of a dilemma, right? If you are running a business, then 
obviously all the points that you just said are all valid but if you want to run a uh, if you are uh, run uh, a good sports league or a sports team mm-hmm. who cares about fans then obviously some some of your motivations might not be aligned with what's best for fans and uh, you know obviously which is natural which is why we have this uh, so in europe uh, especially in england uh, these clubs are you know part of communities they are part of their culture uh, and also now a part of the global culture they have been around for more than 120 years or so most of them compare it to say an ipl team or a maybe an nba team so it's a franchise versus club debate right so true uh, which is why it gets you know a bit more complicated and which you know brings us to this uh, another interesting uh, you know proposition which is this 50 plus 1 uh, rule that is there in german football uh, in germany even uh, large clubs like borussia dortmund and bayern munich have to operate on those principles and they have prospered in europe uh, despite all those things i mean maybe that's an interesting thing but obviously it will require a lot of uh, legal will from the uh, from the various governments so i'm not sure it's going to happen in the uk or maybe some in spain or somewhere else but maybe an interesting model now my i think i i i don't see that happening in england happening i think because for the owners to then sell significant stake i mean the valuations that they're going to be demanding is going to be crazy and i don't think i mean i don't think the fans in england are going to be able to like you know collectively also stump up that kind of money i mean like manchester united today is valued at 2.4 billion if i'm not wrong yes no so, so uh, if the owners sell the club at the valuation at which they want to sell then i think there is no deal on the table absolutely. even for some private equity guy or some another other billionaire but uh, only way it can happen if is if the uk government forces them to uh, sell at you know some throw away price which i agree is very unlikely to happen for you know all the posturing that uh, boris johnson and this team does uh, finally when it comes to legalities uh, they'll get stuck somewhere rusha what's your take on the government intervention the proposed say government intervention or regulation with affairs and football clubs as to how they go about doing things so the biggest Do problem for, for the game in the longer run the problem with england football is i think it's globalized way too much uh, english football to have a 50 plus 1 rule that actually functions correctly and optimally uh, i think in bundesliga it's possible because essentially your bayern munich is uh, every club in the bundesliga is a feeder club for bayern munich german players want to just play for bayern munich at the end of the day at the peak of their career so i think it's easier for them to get away with it uh, I think in England it's I would say it's nearly impossible A is because I don't think the country geographically that large uh, B is if you have a 50 plus 1 rule you have to have it across all tiers of football so we're talking about dismantling ownership structures of over 180 clubs in England today and remantling them in a different uh, version or a structure and I I think that's too much work for any government to indulge in at this point of time 
Interesting that, thing. I, I think that is what my take is. That's a very interesting thing. So now, if that cannot happen, so then you have no choice but to continue with this model. And I mean, as we've been seeing since the time, say, as far as Chelsea was concerned, Roman Abramovich, since the Glazers have taken over, Croenke Sports Enterprises, Fenway Sports Group, I mean, you name it, all these big clubs, Tottenham, etc. I mean, the, the owners, I mean, the owners, in some way, you can say, they're not just concerned about football. They, I think primarily, what you can see, they are concerned about money. They are concerned about profits. Yes, of course, if the teams do well on the pitch, the money will come in. The revenues will come in. The popularity, as the popularity increases, revenues will come. If you're not performing well, it's not going to happen. I mean, of course, you might say that United has been doing well commercially, revenue-wise, but you got to also say that it's because of their history, because of their winning legacy of Sir Alex Ferguson that they're able to command such a position globally. I mean, with the performances that they've had in the last... I don't think so... In pure footballing terms, they'd be anywhere near. Yeah, the the unfortunate thing is that the Glazers and Ed Woodward believed that, and they Ed Woodward has said it publicly, openly many times that success on the pitch is does not matter for success off the pitch. I think uh, you know you can milk the cow only to an extent, right? You need uh, after a point, you need. Uh, to win trophies, you need to be to remain relevant at the top of, you know, the food chain as far as uh, the as far as the top clubs are concerned. But uh, obviously, the Glazer model is very different. They have hardly put in any of their own money to uh, buy the club. All as we know, I mean, the entire uh, leverage was dumped onto United's book books. So. Uh, as long as they are taking out that 20-25 million per year as dividends, they are more than happy. And I think by just qualifying for the Champions League, United can uh, you know easily uh, meet that that particular demand. So, which is okay. why we are you know, stuck in this cycle of uh, getting Champions League one or two seasons and then again dropping off. So, so this is where my question to Rushab is, like. Do you want some regulations or do you want some restrictions or conditions on these kind of matters and how the football club is run? I mean, certain allocation towards, say, grassroots levels or whatever you want to say as to how the... I mean, a simple thing like just the revamp of the stadium on infrastructure. We've seen that there's absolutely been no expenditure on infrastructure on Old Trafford over the past few seasons. And, I mean, you, you could say it's... I mean, as old as it is and as as much of a legacy it carries, it needs a revamp. But we see that the, the football club is not uh, getting any investments from its owners. So do you want, I mean, that kind of intervention happening? Do you want to see those kind of restrictions on how football clubs should be run in the country? So my thing is, I look at the sports group, I look at the Glazers, they're successful franchisee owners in America. They're running really good sports businesses across the Atlantic. Uh, I don't think they have the know-how, but I'm sure they're at least competent at running a sports organization. 
and again i'm i don't think the government inter i think perhaps the fa just takes a bigger pie out of the revenue and starts allocating it to grassroots that's the only way i don't think you can apply a blanket rule to all 20 clubs of the premier league i think everybody is at different stages some clubs are in the nascent stages of earning promotion and you know making sure that they stay in the premier league competitive for the next few years and there are some clubs which are legacy clubs like arsenal which will have money because of the fan base regardless of their position in the league so i think a blanket rule will never be good in the sense i don't think it's uniform enough i think clubs have their own structures how they're financed what like tomorrow if you tell me that it this is anti competitive the super league why are city even playing in the premier league like their spending is unparalleled but we have financial fair play don't we have financial fair play so that's what i'm saying i don't think fair play is happening anywhere to anybody So, so there I, are oh, there are no good good guys in football, right? Right. You start from right. FIFA, <laughs> UEFA, uh, the football clubs, the owners, the 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 skies and BTs of the world, uh, even the players to an extent. So yeah, yeah it's become a completely commercial thing, and uh, unfortunately, the fans have been left behind. like i'm just glad that football isn't becoming wwe to be very honest i'm just glad that it's still played by 11 men on the football equally with rules and war that apply uniformly on both teams without chairs and tables involved i'm to be honest very happy that's where it is at i hope it doesn't just go down that route cuz no, but again my question to you guys and my personal opinion also on this is that i mean we talk of like you know capitalism i mean 12 clubs using their money power i mean finances let's look at the clubs across the board across european competitions who 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 who've been winning the uh, domestic titles who've been winning the champions league as you mentioned the last biggest upset as far as someone winning the champions league was porto right Chelsea in 2012 was also an upset, but when that oh, was come on, come on, we're talking. I mean, that was Roman Abramovich. It was the Roman Abramovich era. Come on, I'm talking of. I mean, they lost their way to the title. Come on here. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, but yeah, they they were never. You look at Serie A. You look at Serie A. You look at Bundesliga. Juventus have had. They've been winning yes. uh, the Serie A for the last nine seasons consecutively. Yes, that's going to be that. That sequence is going to get broken this season. Bundesliga. I mean, I mean, it's still. It, I mean, everyone else might as well just walk over. You just have uh, until Klopp was there in Germany. Dortmund was giving. I mean, uh, giving a tough time to Bayern Munich. But after, even since Klopp has left, it's just one-way street. It's not even been a competition. So again. when we talk of even domestic leagues they have not been competitive across the board you look at la liga i mean barring maybe this season where we are saying it's maybe a three horse race it's more or less been uh, just barcelona real madrid last 15 16 seasons i think atletico madrid just turned up once to win the league apart from that they've no, not even been near uh, barcelona yeah, i think uh, on this point uh, the uk has done everybody else so in spain or italy or in germany uh, like the top two or three clubs just take away a lion's share of the broadcasting revenue right 
which is why we have seen in the last decade or so these gaps between the top 2 and the rest maybe 15 to 20 clubs just widen and widen whereas in the uk you have had clubs like say a leicester or a everton or a crystal palace even a crystal palace right clubs that they don't even know whether they are going to be in the premier league next season or not but their finances have been uh, have become much stronger than what it was say 10 years ago because there is much more equitable distribution of these uh, you know broadcasting deals uh, which is why you know you have a lester that can hold out for 80 million for harry maguire i mean what was it 2004 when united just went to everton and bought rooney for 30 million when you few less look at that deal in hindsight that was a real steal now today if some player like rooney bursts on to the scene at a club like everton uh no he's not going to go for anything less than 150 million uh, west ham are asking for what 100 million for a player like declan rice right he's a very good player but finally he's a defensive midfielder even say grajack grillish or james madison and these clubs have are now in a position to you know dictate these terms because uh, you know they have become much more uh, stronger financially so uh, i guess on this point obviously the uk has done much better than uh, some of the other european countries and which is also something that uh, you know some of these american owners of arsenal united and liverpool are probably pissed about right they 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 won't like being held to ransom by all these other smaller clubs i mean that doesn't fit into their model which is why again they tried to you know break away with this uh, super league and all i agree to your point but again my my question to you is i mean we had that one freak season with leicester winning but if you see even after that you could see more or less i mean there's been utter domination we've seen manchester city dominate no I mean, no no i don't agree see we have had what five different winners in the last 10 years liverpool city united chelsea leicester right you show me any other top european league uh, that has had such a diversity of uh, title winners in the last 10 years I mean no doubt I'm not I'm not disputing the fact that the English Premier League is far more competitive than other leagues but ultimately what I'm saying is it's the richy rich it's the big clubs which are dominating the league I mean there's no doubt I mean see at the end of the day we know for a fact no matter how much we enjoy watching Leicester I mean you're not going to see I mean you're not going to see that Leicester miracle happen again right you know it's more or less going to stay with manchester city or liverpool or manchester united or chelsea i mean i'm not even i mean it's come to a point where i'm not even counting arsenal and tottenham i think my biggest gripe with the super league was they included arsenal to be very honest <laughs> I, what about tottenham they won nothing <laughs> they won nothing tottenham as well they, they were in the nothing. champions league final the porch win and tactic of ball Right. but yeah, yeah, i don't I think, think that my opinion here is very biased i don't think it really is material in nature but yes please go ahead how so i think uh, i i mean my my point being yes the english premier league 
is far more competitive than any other league in Europe. But I still feel, yes, there is money power. There is, I mean, there is the financial muscle, which is still kind of like, you know, pulling through in these leagues. I mean... I mean, it didn't get competitive. It it didn't suddenly get competitive because the quality of players that were coming through the academies were, I mean, brilliant or anything of that sort. You saw a Russian billionaire has come over to Chelsea and Chelsea has been transformed. They've bought players left, right and centre. You look at Manchester City spending. You, you just need to look at Manchester City spending, not only under Pep Guardiola, even before that. So, my point basically is... There is, there is money power even in the Premier League. I mean, except for that miraculous season where Leicester won the title. It's more or less been the money bags, right? Which have been winning the league. Be it Chelsea, be it Man City. Of course, United, despite having the money, have not been doing that well. But, uh, I mean, it's... Yeah, there, I mean, is a clear, right. de- there is a clear demarcation, right? Between the big, cl- the big money-spending clubs and the rest the rest of the pack and yes. we can see and we've been seeing that gulf since the Leicester uh, title winning season you're right like, but I think we are now too far down that road so that thing is not going to reverse I mean that is going to remain but uh, you know, this uh, Super League fiasco does have some implications and the big thing most immediate uh, ramification was that Ed Woodward has resigned and is due to leave uh, very soon. Uh, you know, every as they say, every in the darkest of the clouds have silver lining. So, this is this is a gold lining actually, not even a silver lining. This is a but, gold cloud in the middle of the storm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but uh, you know, I was very happy for a day or so after this news broke. And after that, I just realized that uh, you know, as long as the Glazers are there, they'll just appoint somebody else uh, who is basically Ed Woodward part two, right? Somebody, maybe Richard Arnold, who is there at the club since a long time. I mean, we can keep dreaming of getting say, an Edwin Wendelsar, but we all know that's not going to happen. No, my 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 mind. I, I want to interject here. I think the Glazers took over in when? 2005, if I'm not wrong? Yes. yes. Didn't we have a period of success for six, seven years when we had David Gill and Ferguson running the show? That was down to Ferguson, right? No, but wasn't it also down to David Gill? Obviously, it was. So, I think, uh, I mean, would it have been any different if someone like David Gill was around? I don't think that time we had any issues, uh, we had any problems with United because they continued that winning run. They managed to win, right? I think. Let me interject here. Uh, David Gill was the biggest opponent the Glazers had prior to buying the club. He obviously got on board and on agenda once they actually bought the club out. So, he was not on board with the Glazers buying the club out. Publicly, he had made a statement that he's not fully comfortable with it and then he had to eat his words. So, clearly, he was not fully aligned with the Glazers. He was aligned more with the interests of the football club. Whereas, I believe the next person that the Glazers appoint with is always going to be in line with the Glazers' vision and their projections and not with what perhaps the greater footballing good of Manchester City as a whole. Not City, the club of the whole city is going to be at the... So here's where I think here's where I think I'd like to point out 
I mean, for all the money ball and for all the finances that some of these big clubs have, I think the model, I wouldn't say it's a model to be followed, but it's something which I do appreciate and admire is, uh, I would say, Man City in terms of, there's no compromise on the footballing, uh, the footballing philosophy, the football structure. You look at their academy, you look at their training grounds today. I think you, you could uh, call it one of the world's best in terms of infrastructure. So there's definitely no compromise on the footballing side of things. Yes, of course, we can always argue, like, you know, the sources of money, how, I mean, how, I mean who, is, uh, uh, who comprises the ownership of Man City and, I mean, how the money is generated and all of that. But, I mean, the, the kind of intervention, the kind of mismanagement that we've seen at Manchester United I mean, I don't think that has been the case with Man City. You can see the, the youth academy is being developed. You can see, I mean, investment, I mean, investment in other areas of football. I mean, world-class training facilities, world-class world stadiums. I think uh, the, football, the, the footballing aspect of running the club, I, I, I think that has been kept at that. That has been kept at that. Yeah, but that's because, uh, you know, the interests of the both owners are very different. And their motivations are also very different. Very uh, for, for the for city's owners, it's, it's well known that it's a global sports washing project. That's why they've been you know, buying up football teams, not just in uh, UK, but elsewhere in the uh, elsewhere around the world also. And, uh, you know, all this infrastructure investments and investments in the community is something that is by design. Uh, I don't believe that, uh, you know, they care too much about it. But obviously, those all those things have some or the other hidden agendas. And uh, yes, they have put in a good structure. But how much have they put in? How much money have they put in? Like more than 500 million, I guess since they took over and the Glazers have actually taken out more than that from out of United and they will continue to take out in the form of dividends and uh, uh, you know maybe some other payments so uh, the complete the business models for both of them the agendas completely different so I mean we are stuck with the Glazers obviously at least for now Nobody is going to pay them the four billion pounds that they are asking for. Uh, basically, they are asking for a more than fifty percent premium to the current stock price in the current environment. It's definitely not happening. So I don't think the comparisons with uh, the city ownership uh, are fair in that sense because, as I said, completely different agendas. So again. Uh... Finally, I'd like to just uh, say that uh, I think this has been a, I mean, this has been an unprecedented uh, event that has taken the world of uh, football by storm. But I think the most heartening aspect for me was, uh, I think, fans across the board, across the board, I think, uh, uh, came together. They were united in their displeasure towards... Uh, this form, this kind of a, a, a capitalist breakaway league, which intended, whose sole purpose or intention was just filling the owners' pockets and uh, killing the spirit of competition, 
I think it was really heartening to see uh, everyone protest and everyone raise their voices. And uh, it's, I think it's something that needs to happen on a regular basis. I mean, there are other matters, there are other issues which also need addressing. And here I'd like to mention that even when it comes to the revamping of the Champions League, I think uh, it's time even UEFA wakes up and smells the coffee. I mean, the reason for this breakaway league uh, seed being planted was also the fact that UEFA themselves have not been, uh, I mean, covering themselves in glory. I mean, even they've tried to fill, the, I mean, the latest format, the 36 team format, we're talking about uh, 10 games being played by each team in the by the quarterfinals, etc. Again, that's an increase in the number of matches. That's an increase in the workload for the players. More travelling, I mean, more games, more injuries, more fatigue. I think somewhere the player welfare also needs to be taken into consideration. And I don't think that is happening. And I hope that the players unite for this as well. And, I mean, just, uh, just let the authorities know that Listen, you've got to take us into account, take us into consideration. I don't know. I'm of the opinion that the players are being paid to play and that you pay, you get paid a handsomely good amount. I think you put in the hours required. It might result in perhaps an injury or two, but that's what football is about, right? You go to head a ball at the risk of getting a concussion. I think. Extra matches is not a problem. I think the problem is the fact that the UFR is corrupt. The revenue sharing is very defunct at this point of time. Uh, the fact that uh, today uh, UFI is strictly controlled by a group of six or eight businessmen in Europe uh, who are no longer essentially uh, involved in the day-to-day running of football anymore. They're just sitting there, getting bribed, getting choosing UFR stadiums based on what kind of government pays them, what kind of money or grease with their pockets. I think that that itself is a problem. I think it's a industry-wide problem, to be honest. It can be seen in cricket, can be seen in football. Uh, so this is where I think the American sporting system is really good. Like I, I think they have a excellent salary cap system where player power does not is always in check. Uh, owners are strictly policed by the federation under which they play, whether it be NFL or NBA, which is again not the case here. You see Man City flouting FFP rules like it's nobody's business and getting away with it, whereas City had like a transfer embargo for a year and a half. So, I, I, I don't know, man. I think I like the status quo the football is enjoying today. I think it should be the way it is. I don't think there is much restructuring that can be done. But yeah, I guess slowly over time, the Champions League will have to refurbish itself. So in another three years, there isn't another concrete attempt to form another breakaway league. Right. So uh, believe it or not, but uh, there was some actual football also that was played in the last uh, month or so. And uh, uh, since we last recorded, uh, United have actually done pretty well, I guess. Uh, almost all of the matches in the league uh, up till this uh, Leeds, Leeds United game uh, progressed through the Europa League. I mean, we were all a bit uh, skeptical last time around whether we can you know, get past AC Milan. But 
i think the performance in the away leg was uh, a very controlled professional kind of a performance the performance that we had actually gotten used to seeing uh, during the later years of sir alex ferguson when we made made to like three champions league finals in four years it did remind me a bit of that and uh, the only you know black mark was the fa cup game against leicester but i mean obviously that's done and dusted now uh, overall um, no in the league at least uh, we have also you know spent a lot of time discussing about our defense that uh, seems to have uh, no finally started to improve uh, luke shaw arguably player of the season what do you say guys bruno has definitely tailed off in the last uh, couple of months i guess yeah i mean for me without without a shadow of a doubt i mean i think since the tottenham game i must i dare say since the tottenham drubbing that we received at old trafford for me easily luke shaw has been the best player every game game in game out he's been creating chances he's been defending stoically i think package the season i mean i think the most improved player in this united team across well, europe say... i guess i mean i think in 2021 he has created as many chances as uh, messi Yeah, that was incredible. So I'm also heavily impressed by uh, a fullback on the other side, Ban Bissaka. I am not, uh, frankly, not. No, I think he's he's becoming much better with space than he was before. Yeah, he's he getting, is. Yes, he's getting better with defending with his back, uh, not facing the goal. So I think he's getting better positionally as well. One on one, he was always good. I think his line was a bit of a problem no, sometimes. I, I, I I beg to differ a little here, and I still have a problem with him. Him back position, him he keeps tucking inside. He keeps tucking inside for me, offering width to the opposition wingers to you know put in the cross or I mean like you know just giving them an opportunity on that side. I just still feel he tucks inside way too much, and sometimes I mean not sometimes, occasions where I feel his. Uh, the positioning of the entire defensive line he's the one who's actually kind of staying a bit behind and like you know that offside trap that we're trying to lay gets busted because of van bisaka eventually or perennially being the one who's keeping the opposition uh, forwards or midfielders onside so i mean oh, ramachandran we cannot play an offside trap with hagri maguire in defense <laughs> no, we, I, we can't that, play and we don't unfair. play. It. That's been unfair. Come no, on. we don't play it for a reason. I'm not kidding. I I don't remember seeing the last time we played an offside trap against any good solid team except for those minos who have runners who can run really quick. Perhaps we employed the offside trap, but I don't remember the last time in United actually laid a proper offside trap where we maintained a certain line at the back. I think one thing that's happened with now, you know, Henderson probably playing most of our games is that uh, the defense has pushed up, pushed forward uh, a lot more because he's much more of a sweeper keeper than uh, David Dagea was. Uh, but yes, I agree. I mean, it is still not an offside trap. It's just that the defensive line has shifted a bit forward because you know, they know that. Uh, Uh, there is somebody behind to cover and on the point of van bisaka i think uh, he is getting better 
uh let's not forget i mean he's a very young uh, uh young right back playing in just his second season at united and overall his third season i mean we saw luke shaw right how much time it took for him to uh, get over his injury problems and his uh, bad manager problems if i may, if i say so uh, <laughs> i mean now finally he started to even think for himself that that must be a great achievement for him i guess so i think with time uh, van bisaka will start getting better he is he is naturally not that good at attacking that's for sure but he is getting better he is definitely getting better and i think uh, next season uh, he be a much more productive outlet as far as the attacking uh, uh attacking threat goes but i think one more thing which has quietly actually happened is you know a kind of a passing of torch moment between dagea and henderson again something that we uh, discussed last time around i did not expect it to happen so quickly and without so much fuss and i must say that till now uh, henderson has more or less repeated the faith of the manager Undoubtedly, I also think that the way Solskjaer has handled it has been quite eloquent. I think, I, I, I really don't understand how the media has not gone after this, but it's been done quite well. You haven't heard from the player camps. You haven't heard one of these guys on daily mail just ranting about it, and it's been done quite well. And uh, I guess. Uh... I guess the next the next step in the evolution of this side is going to be I think uh uh of course can we get closer to the likes of City or not yes we are as of now 10 points behind City in the league I think uh I think the next transfer market as always is going to be very critical and now with Edward Ward also not there it'll be and with the new uh sort of team in place in terms of uh the likes of Darren Fletcher joining the club in a technical role etc i mean i i'd be interested i'd be interested to see how we go about our business in the transfer market and let's not forget guys i think uh, at at the end of the season between the end of the season and the start of next season we not only had the euros but i think uh, oli has to make a lot of important decisions what happens to pogba does he get a extension does he sign an extension does he stay with united i mean what does he do i mean uh, what what does he do with uh, certain other players what is he going to do with the dagea and henderson situation can he have a backup goalkeeper who's on wages of 3 and a half lakh pounds i mean that is something that he'll have to look at does he does he sign us does he, does he want a center back does he still want jaden sancho cavani is possibly leaving because he he doesn't seem to be adapting to life in england so I mean does he sign a center forward what is the transfer budget that is going to be made available to Oli so I think I think it's it's a, it's a very very critical important summer yes there's been progress this season I mean we have a chance for a trophy trophy also with the upcoming Europa League semis and hopefully if we get through that we have a final but uh, I think very very critical crucial uh, period in the summer As yeah, to, but uh, and, and let's no. not forget, guys. Let's not forget. Even Oli's contract is up for renewal, right? He'll just have one more season left. So what what's going to happen there? 
Honestly, I am not feeling too confident about this summer. I've never felt, but especially in this summer, uh, it's not clear whether Woodward is going to be there or is going to leave early. There's no, uh, not sure who the replacement is going to be. And then, obviously, we are already hearing noises from the club that because of the pandemic situation, the it's a tough market and blah blah blah, all those stuff. So. Uh, i'm not sure uh no that will uh, if we make a wish list today in terms of uh, transfer market and all uh we are going to get uh, even half of what we desire uh, but i guess, i guess we come to that uh, you, know, you know after the season ends uh, but we are now entering into a very important part of the season for us obviously it's now roma liverpool and roma again i mean the league games have now started to matter less and less because we have a pretty comfortable uh, lead uh, in second place and obviously we have to get over our semi final hurdle uh, we are playing against the seventh best team in italy so honestly we should get past them pretty comfortably but uh, especially because because it's a you know two leg thing so even if there is a you know bad performance in between in one leg there is a chance to make up unlike uh, the sevilla game last season which was a one off game so yeah i am feeling pretty confident about the europa league uh, i think we we have already beaten the best team that was left in the knockouts and uh, uh, if we get through the semis whether it's uh, Oh, Arsenal or Villarreal, I would still be pretty confident. Tushab, uh, I am optimistic. I I don't know. Since beating Milan, I think we're at least reaching the finals for sure. I don't know why. And um, league, to be honest, we finished second or third. I guess I'm okay. I would prefer second. That would be a large improvement over last season. And the fact that we got to trump both Liverpool and Chelsea and Leicester to a second spot would be a good end, but I, I'm keenly focused on the Europa League. To be very honest, so coming to the Europa League, guys, uh, Smalling and Mkhitaryan uh, reunion, Manchester United. So it's going to be an interesting game. I still feel because uh, Paulo Fonseca's Roma side are known to uh, play. active football yes the league position might not reflect that but they've been uh, been uh, touted as one of the more entertaining sides to watch in syria at this point and uh, they say that pa- uh, i mean in the words of hendrik mikitarian himself uh, there there's a bit of, there's a method to the madness which paulo fonseca has and he's classified him as someone whose coaching methods and abilities are more uh, are somewhat uh similar to what he experienced at dortmund under thomas tuchel so i think uh, it won't be a cakewalk for united but it will be interesting to watch uh, uh setup and uh how uh, oli can also co- counter their threat and especially the starting lineup that oli chooses to play i think the one thing which i mean the one thing which i would want to see from oli is and which actually disappointed me in the leeds game also is i somehow don't understand and i still kind of don't understand this 
Fred and uh, Fred and McTominay in some of these games, and I feel I want to see that boldness from uh, o- o- Ole, wherein he play, where he chooses to play either along with Pog in that double uh, pivot. I think I want think, to see uh, that. If you think he is suddenly going to abandon that double pivot in a European semi-final, no chance. No chance. I can guarantee that to you right now. I mean, I partially agree with you. Uh, but for that, you know, you need a much better central defensive midfielder. Uh, this uh, somebody like a Declan Rice, and then. Right now, we do have Fred and McTominay doing the role of just one one player, but without that, uh, it will leave our defense much more exposed. So, I think it is about making trade-offs, and uh, Ole is prioritizing uh, the stability of the team, which I think is fair, especially at this uh, stage of the season. I think more worrying for me, I think the biggest worry right now for the few games that are remaining is. No, Bruno and Rashford for me. Bruno has tailed off uh, a bit in the last couple of months. Uh, he's still capable of producing those moments, but it's becoming few and far between. Uh, he has been played a lot. I guess he became the first player to play 50 games in the first Premier League player to f- play 50 games across competitions this season. So no rest. So it's understandable that it's tailed off. And Rashford also has been carrying so many injuries since a long time. So, uh, no, without the two of them at their best, uh, obviously, we are suffering a bit in terms of the attacking output. If we come unstuck somewhere down the road, I think it might be because of you know either Bruno or Rashford either getting injured or uh, not playing to their potential. That's the biggest worry in my head for the, the next month or so. Great. But we also don't, with Martial out, with Cavani playing only every other game, I think we're going to be in for a fixed comment of the season. But I'm hoping Pogba and Van der Beek perhaps take some goal-creating opportunities, responsibilities of the shoulder of Bruno. Yeah, I mean, Van der Beek, Van der Beek for the five minutes, six minutes. Yeah, you hope he get goal-scoring opportunities. Yeah, create perhaps one or two like that. He does a good job, I think. Perhaps we see a little more from Pogba, I guess, before he leaves this summer, or I don't know. But I'm really hoping for Pogba to stand up and make his presence be felt. So, guys, uh, before yeah. the pot, uh, predictions for the Roma game and Liverpool game. So. Uh... I think it's going to be uh, pretty comfortable against Roma. So, across both the ties, I think we will win the tie by, say, a cushion of at least two goals. And uh, I am not sure. I mean, the Liverpool game uh, doesn't matter too much to us. Doesn't matter too much to them, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure whether they're still harboring hopes of getting into the Champions League. Uh, I I see definitely see something like a draw playing out uh, in that game. I mean, it's sandwiched right between the two Roma games. So, I don't think we are going to like go full throttle in that game. 
I I am going for a draw in that game. But more importantly, I think we'll breeze past Roma. Dushab, your predictions? So for me, I think we should be able to take on Roma with not a lot of effort. Uh, that is if we manage if Harry Maguire manages to keep Eden Zeko quiet. Uh, I think we should be all right. And I don't know with Liverpool. I feel like for them, this match is something that can spark some sort of uh, upheaval in form, uh, where they're possibly their bloodiest rivals in England and. A good showing against us will go a long way in upping their confidence for the rest of the games that they have, and they seem to have an easier run of fixtures than us in the last six or five games. So I feel like they're probably going to push us a bit more, and we're due to our European commitments, we're probably going to be a little on the wayside. Uh, I agree with Pranav. I think both don't have a lot to play for, but I feel like Liverpool in this intensity match, in a low intensity match, might just edge us out. But Let us see the uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's low block versus Klopp's dysfunctional team right now. What comes of it? Uh, and yeah, uh, I'm hoping we take the finals as well. But let's do semi-finals first. Let's get rid of the jinx. So my prediction is a win over Roma, definitely. Against Liverpool, I'm going to stick my neck out and say that. Uh, In the Premier League, Ole is finally going to manage to beat Klopp. I think it's been a horrendous season for Klopp. Uh, Liverpool have, I mean, they've drawn their, I mean, they've drawn their last two games against Leeds, and uh, uh, I guess they drew against. If I'm not wrong, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I see cracks in that Liverpool defense, and yes, I, I, I feel they have. A lot to play for in terms of they still might be harboring a few hopes for the top four in case there's a slip up above them, so they'll definitely be coming hard at us. But I think therein lies our opportunity, and we've been a counter-attacking team in these big games. So I think it's a game which is, I think it's going to suit both teams in a way. Liverpool's going to go for it, and we're going to be we're going to enjoy sitting back and playing on the counter. I see uh, United beating Liverpool at Old Trafford finally. So my prediction is we we win against Roma and Liverpool. That is bold, I would say. But yeah, optimistic. So I guess that wraps up our conversation for the day today. Right. So thank you guys. Uh, Thanks everybody for listening, and uh, thanks Anirudh and Rushab for doing this. And uh, we'll see see you all again next month. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thank you guys. It's always been fun. Okay.